Since the beginning of the church, persecution has been part of the Christian experience. In fact, the Bible tells us that all who seek to live a godly life will be persecuted. Today, an estimated 360 million Christians are living under severe religious restriction. On this podcast, we share their stories. And we answer the question, how can American Christians live as Christ in an increasingly hostile culture? The way of the persecuted is the harder way. And this is the Harder Way Podcast. The message you're about to hear is entitled, Preparing for Religious Restriction in America. This message was given as part of a presentation by the founder of our ministry over a decade ago. For Christians in the West, the truths shared in this message seem more important today than they ever have before. I want to start on time because I want to use every one of the three hours that they've given me to this message. So we're going to start on time. I don't know when we're going to finish. They always put this class at the last. And you're going to find out why. You're going to be hungry. You're going to not even want me to quit. You're going to say, keep preaching it, brother. Actually, I'm not a preacher. I'm not a preacher. I'm not a teacher. Let's get started. I'm a missionary. I've been a missionary now for 30, 30, gosh, over 30 years. I don't know, 32, 33 years. When you get my age, you don't count anymore. Even as long as you've been a missionary, you don't count. You know, the one thing they say about birthdays, if you spend too many of them, it's going to kill you. So I'm the oldest one in the room here. You're okay. I'm a missionary. Been a missionary full-time for over 33 years. My name is Don Roberts, and our job for all these years is really simple. Simple concept, hard to pull off. We go to only restricted countries, China, Cuba, Vietnam, and the former days, Soviet bloc countries, Romania, Nicaragua, Siberia, all those. Th- if, there was, if, there was, if there was Christians in prison for their faith, and they couldn't get a Bible, that's where we would go. That's where we're still going today. I'm getting ready to go back to Cuba in about three weeks. And in those 33 years, we have learned a lot of stuff from these Christians. When I go to these countries, I don't preach or teach. I'm glad that you are a fan of yourself. Do you know what that means? That means it's hot in here. It's going to get hotter. Because, you know, a metallurgist, when a metallurgist is going to purify gold and silver, you know what he does? He turns the heat up, doesn't he? And then the slag comes up, and he, he pulls the slag off, and he turns more heat up and a little more slag, and pretty soon he's got the fine silver and gold. And, and family, I need you all to pull your feet in today, because I'm going to step on some toes. Okay, in being with these Christians around the world for 30-some-odd years, being with brothers and sisters, that's why we were the handcuffs, as a reminder that these are, these are our brothers and sisters. Remember those in prison as though you were in prison with them. We have learned an incredible amount of experiences. And the Lord has done a whole lot more in us than through us. And part of the reason that we come back to the United States is because as we give them the best that we can give them, and that's scriptures. They, they're not asking for scriptures. They're begging for scriptures. And as we give them the best that they can possibly desire, and that's scriptures, they give us the best, and that is to teach us how we can live victorious lives through restriction and persecution. I'm glad you came back. That's good. Tough. Some of you, I remember if you were in the earlier class, and I'm impressed that you came back. Praise the Lord. I know you're glad I came back too, huh? Thank you. It's our job. Take scriptures only to restricted countries, only scriptures. 
And we use these lessons to try to help us to understand that the only security in this whole world, only sec- we're not citizens of this place. We're only sojourners. Our only, our only security in this world is Jesus Christ. That's it, folks. We have no human rights in this country. Spiritual rights, but no human rights. My authority, my credentials for being here today are not based on who I am. I'm, just, I'm a servant. I'm a missionary. I'm the delivery boy. I take the Bibles to them. Lord willing, we don't get caught at the border or in internal security or have our Bibles confiscated or we don't go to jail. We've had a couple things happen to us in the past, but basically we're the delivery people. Our job is to get in, get on scriptures and get out. So my credentials are not based on who I am, but they're based on these brothers and sisters who have spent time with this. I've been at their feet and say, teach us. I can't teach anybody in prison for anything about homiletics or apologetics or Hebrew or Greek. Those guys have got the marks of Jesus Christ on their back. These guys and sisters are tough. So that's our credentials for being here. But also, the message that you hear today is that we are trying, as as a Bible Courage International, BCI staff, to live this message out ourselves. So I'm going to try to be as transparent as I can today with you as I was earlier in this in the in the session before this. And if those of you who are not here, you should get the get the CD. And and because it's the biblical foundation, this is the practical foundation that we're talking about today. The 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 hands-on stuff to say, okay, folks, here's how it works on a very practical basis, based on what they've said and what they've experienced in their own lives. So actually, the title is Preparing for More Religious Restriction in in America. But in reality, it's better to say maybe understanding restriction and preparing for persecution. I think these two words are the least liked and the least talked about words in all of Christianity, restriction and persecution. Now, in preparing for persecution, uh, there might be some chairs, ladies, if you want to come on in and find a chair or lap or whatever. There's seven, in preparing for this, there are seven keys that are absolutely imperative that you follow along and you understand. And I hope that the crescendo builds until that very seventh key and you're going to just love it. Key number one, religious restriction is the process of the world telling Christians what they can do and not do. It's, 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 Established by the ungodly people, non-believers, restrictionists. Key number two. But persecution is the process of Christians responding to that restriction. So, to explain, it is Satan or the world that sets us up to be restricted. It's us Christians that determine how much persecution is going to be. So if we look around, there's a lot of restriction in America. We look around and go, how much persecution is it? Whose fault is it? Not Satan's. He's already got us in a grip. It's up to us Christians. And that's a very important factor. In these countries that we represent, we call it the restricted church. Some call it suffering church. Some call it limited access countries. That represents about 55% of the world today where you cannot have a Bible openly like we do here. In fact, what a privilege today for us to gather together. The windows are open. The doors are open. We're not afraid of the, of the police coming in and confiscating our Bibles or taking some of us to jail. Wow. In these countries we go to, they, they, they have told us when we've tried to describe to them baths, which they have a hard time getting the concept. 
that if they could do, they would, if they could see this in their town, they would go to jail in order for the privilege of seeing it in their town. So what a privilege for us to be able to walk in here openly at freedom and hear the message from them. They would love, they would love to be here today sharing this message with you. So in this countries that this 55% of the world that we represent, there's a really good balance between restriction and persecution in their lives. And, and they base their actions on Acts 4 and 5. And you know, the, you know the story there. The disciples went to the Sanhedrin. The Sanhedrin called them in, arrested them, and said, We have given you strict orders and, and a law to not preach the name of Jesus in Jerusalem. Why have you broken the law? Listen, folks, I, I just had a double shot of Starbucks, man, and I'm cranked. And I'm probably going to really talk really fast because i got a lot to say. So don't slow me down. Just listen faster. Thank you. Oh, in Starbucks, we're ready. Okay. Meantime, four and five. We must obey God rather than man. That's the text of their whole premise, their whole action. Man tells them, don't do this. And they go, hey, we have to do this. It says to preach the word in season, to go to all, you know, and you know the scripture. I don't have to tell you about evangelism. But they really practice that all the time. As Americans, we can quote a lot of scriptures about what the Bible says about promises, God's promises. How many can we quote about what it says about restriction and persecution? And yet, it's in every book of the Bible, without exception. And in many books, it's in every chapter of those books. If you read them with that eye about restriction and persecution, oh, it's an eye-opener. This must be pretty important to the Lord. There are hundreds of thousands of Christians in restricted church who are oppressed by the government, by their families, by their friends, by their employers. And they're being, because of their witness, they're being demoted from their jobs. They're being fired from their jobs. They're being denied medical help. They're being denied housing, denied schooling, denied retirement, denied Bibles and open worship. They're denied their freedom. And many of them are denied their lives. There's a real, a real statistic. In the world today, every year, there's between 200 and 300,000 Christians are martyred for their faith. As we speak, as we speak, there's probably a Christian dying somewhere in the world in this period of hour and a half. They have been stripped of all their worldly securities. Their only securities is only in Jesus Christ. I say that so easily, but there's some tricks here. There's some challenges here. The way is difficult and very narrow. Pick up your cross daily. Deny yourselves and follow me. That's what we're really talking about here. So they have, the government has stripped them of all of their human rights. They have no human rights. But no one can strip them or us of our spiritual rights. And that spiritual right is to fulfill scriptures, to obey scriptures. That's really our only right here on this earth. We are not citizens of this world. We cannot, that's why he says you don't, you don't fight this with they're, they're weapons of the world. This is a spiritual battle. Key number three, persecution is the pruning shears for Christians. When the Lord prunes, oh, the fruit is really sweet and really lasting. And Christianity, just now, folks, is beginning to come into its fruition, into fruitfulness after almost 240 years. Five years ago, maybe 10, there would have been only three or four people in this room listening to this message. But now, 
things are happening in the country. The Lord is beginning to move. And you're not here by accident. Nope, you're not. Because I know that if I were to talk to you, there'd be somewhere that each one of you probably said, Lord, what, what do you have in store for us today? Show us where we should go. I know that. And he's looking for a remnant. And there's only going to be a remnant, family, that when it starts happening, you are going to go, you know something? I know the formula about how to be more than overcomers in this. So praise the Lord that the God has seen you and he has brought you here to make you more than an overcomer. Wow, I'm privileged, honestly, to be with you. I'm privileged to be with these people and these people are looking forward to being with you one day. So we ask them to help us to understand how we can live this kind of a life. That's their gift to us. Key number four, persecution or suffering is really an opportunity for us to pay a price for our faith. That's the only way that we can pay a price. Going to church for three hours isn't a big price to pay. Suffering is the price that the Lord is asking us to pay. And that is a physical expression, to suffer with those who suffer. If you want to share in my glory, you must share in my it's physical and the mental expression. So, restriction of persecution comes in different forms all over the United States. And you're all already aware of this. You know, you don't have any school prayer. That was the really, that was the, that was the turning key of the Lord going, okay, this is where it all began back in the early 60s. But since then, you know, more and more, you can't even use facilities. Churches can't, or, or, or Christian group can't use various facilities, even secular facilities, even government facilities for any kind of Christian activities. More and more, they're getting to where they're saying that churches cannot have Christian schools on their campuses if they're a nonprofit organization, which they all are. Hear that? Interesting, huh? And of course, more and more, you can't preach about homosexuality being a sin, being wrong. That's going to be a hate crime. Are we going to preach it or not? In the U.S., Christianity has really been pretty inexpensive. But the price is going up to be a Christian. To be a Christian in these countries who represent, it is costly. They have to pay dearly for their Christianity. You know, Satan, he attacks us in every areas of our lives. He is setting each one of us up, each one of us up with restriction. And he figures he's going to wipe us out with persecution. That's his goal. Even in the, here in the America, in the workplace, more and more, we're, employers are saying, no Christian jewelry. There was a, we knew a brother that had a, wore a Christian belt buckle with a little ectus on the, on the belt buckle, and his employer told him, what's that? And he said, well, it's an indication of Christianity. And he said, go home and take it off. This is not a church. You know what the guy said? Oh, don't we wish. He said, okay. I don't want to offend anybody. Went home and went on to become top some of the highest lines of, of management in the hospital. You'd recognize even the hospital name. No Christian jewelry, no praying, even on mealtimes. One employee sneezed, and another employee said, God bless you, and they were called in on the carpet and said, we don't mix any religion here in the workplace. No witnessing on your own time. And, and yet, there's so many of these things happening, that they, and they have no basis for this action, but they still do it. Yet, yet we are commanded as Christians to witness. Maybe not. We're not advocating to take the time of the employer. We're not talking about that. You're getting paid eight hours to do the job. Do the job. But there's times when, even by law, that you're not on that employer's time. You have break time. You have meal time and that sort of thing. That's when the Lord says, okay, kick in here now. Sadly, sadly, most Christians 
compromise and they say, oh, I'm sorry, I didn't want to offend anybody, and they don't do it. And they invoke the scriptures to cover up for their compromise and their fear. Romans 13 says, and this is what many Christians invoke and will continue to invoke, Romans 13, that says, you must obey the law of the land. Oh, I like that. We want to be good citizens. We want to obey the law of the land. But who wrote that scripture? Probably Paul. Probably Paul would obey the law of the land in Romans 13. Where was Paul when he wrote it? In jail. <laughs> Probably because he had a, a prison ministry, right? <laughs> <laughs> So, you see, Paul wasn't contradicting himself in here. What he's saying is, folks, render under Caesar what is Caesar's. Do what Caesar says. But over here, on the other hand, if Caesar's saying, do this against the Lord, you're going to have to make a decision. And when you make that decision, it's, it's going to cost you. First of all, we have to make that decision that, Lord, I am going to glorify you. I'm going to glorify you. I'm going to glorify you. If you stand in church and you say, Lord, I'm going to glorify you. Lord, I love you, and Lord, I'll follow you any place. Don't do it unless you mean it, because the Lord more and more is calling us out and going, you big talkers, I want to see some proof. I want to see some evidence that you love me. How much will you suffer for me? He says, if you want to share in my glory, wow. <laughs> yeah, thank you. Everybody's got their feet in. That's good. Okay, so, well, there is for sure. Don't, don't justify compromise. If you're weak, which I am, if you're weak, then just say, Lord, I'm weak. But in my weakness, Lord, you said my strength will be in you and will be strong and perfect. Don't justify with scriptures. You know, there's many universal stories and many universal troops. Many, started, we're off. There's a lot of universal truths, and that is, folks, that Satan will, he will reward your compromise. But the guy with the belt buckle went on to be high management in the hospital system because he went home and, and didn't wear any jewelry or talk about Jesus anymore. So we will, we will we'll, we'll slip into compromise pretty easily, and, and we've heard it a lot ourselves, and I even have to struggle not to say it myself, because we'll use a lot of expressions like this when we start compromising. We just hope it doesn't get any worse. Okay, how about when they find out that we're really nice people, they'll just leave us alone. But the Lord said, if you love me, they're going to hate you. I'm not dislike you, hate you. So we do not understand really that this is a whole thing being set up by Satan. It's an attack by Satan. We don't want to be sacrificial lambs. I don't want to be a sacrificial. I want to be a hero. I don't want to be Friday. I want to be Sunday. All of us do. And we hear all too often, persecution in the United States, it will never happen here. As though we're privileged. I mean, Lord, we're supporting our church and we send some money for Bibles and we're doing the job, Lord. That, and the more you do that job, the more there's going to be persecution because you're going to show your love for the Lord. Oh, man, this is a trap. Whoa, we are in a trap, folks. Let's face it. We are like pawns if you will, in a spiritual chess game. Well, praise the Lord, we're on the right side of the board. But we are. The Lord is maneuvering us and saying, just like he did with Job, have you noticed my kids down there in Bass? Probably not yet. So why should it come here? Well, persecution is really a barometer. It's a barometer of how much we are willing to suffer for the Lord. 
You know, we, we fail to just acknowledge or recognize that, that persecution is really good for us. That's why we had this, this session earlier today. It said, blessed are the persecuted. Again, buy that CD and listen to it. So by Christians, we are, we are, our success as Christians are not to be measured by our reputation, by our position in either the secular world or Christianity, not by money, not by big churches, or not even by how many Bibles I take to these restricted countries. That is not the measure of my success. It is not. The measure of my success is, I think you all are getting the point now, measure of success is what? Yeah, no, thank you. I'm sorry. I'm trying to be cute. Thank you. It's not even by, my, my success is not measured. My success is not measured by how many Bibles I take to Cuba or Vietnam or China. It's not measured by that. My success is measured that I go to the border and show up with a load of Bibles and risk going to jail. Did I risk, did my wife and Deanna and some of the rest of the team, were they willing to dodge and go into the, into the interior of these countries and get arrested and be interrogated? That's the measure of our success. Not even if I got Bibles through or if I dodged all the roadblocks, what the Lord has been very gracious to do, but the fact that we, Romans 12 says this. Us, oh, great. Romans 12, 1 says, offer yourself as living sacrifice. Now, he may not take it, probably will. But offer yourself as a living sacrifice. That's the measure of our success. When we say, Lord, here am I, man of unclean lips, send me. There you got it. Doesn't make a difference what happens after that. Folks, you got the victory. Offer yourself. You don't have to chase persecution. It'll find you. Oh, ew, it'll do it. So it's, it's, it's by suffering. It's by suffering. That's the measure of our success. Are we willing to offer ourselves as a living sacrifice? And when you do that, 1 Peter 5.10 says this, After you have suffered a little while, I will personally come down and rescue you and make you stronger than you were before. Personally. Now, that's different than Psalm 91.11 that says, I will give charge to my angels concerning you that they protect you in all your ways. You know the scripture. They will protect you. 1 Peter 5.10 says, But when you suffer for me, I'm not sending, I'm not sending angels, folks. I'm coming personally. Suffering builds strength. Compromise builds weakness. And this is is the worst word in the world. I hate this word. I'm I'm not even going to say it. Worst four-letter word in the world. Can you all see that back in the back? Can you all see it back there? It says F-E-A-R. These men and women that restrict the church, they teach us how to live by faith. Live by faith so that we can endure persecution. Because if you try to do this on your own merit, <laughs> they go together. Faith and persecution are matched. They're a tandem team. So often we hear the same message. Oh, listen, through all these people, again, we don't teach or preach when we go there. We sit there and say, teach us. And there's an underlying thread through all of these years, through hundreds and maybe thousands of contacts that we've had. There's an underlying thread that goes this way. And it's pretty scriptural. So listen carefully to it. They say this. You must learn to deny yourselves daily, now, voluntarily. Because when you are forced to deny yourself involuntarily, you'll be ready to handle it. Because it's coming. It's coming. But if we do it now, God has given us a window. He's given us a window that says, listen, listen. Do it now, son and daughter. Do it now so that I don't have to whip you in shape. And these Christians that we've been with, 
Many of them have said, man, we messed. We were totally unprepared. Nobody came to us and said, this is what you have to do. And he said, man, to catch up was really painful. We couldn't start out on a positive. We had to start from down here and clean all that slag off. And then we were going to be ready to honor the Lord in it. Key five. So, what do we deny ourselves of? When it says, pick up your cross and deny yourselves. What does he mean? Because he doesn't say it in there. He's kind of leaving these little things in here for us to decipher ourselves. What do we what do we deny ourselves of? I think most Christians would say our possessions. Absolutely not. Absolutely not. God loves to give his children things. He loves to give us gifts. He loves to give us presents. He loves to do all of that. So that's not what we deny ourselves. Anybody want to take a shot? What do we deny ourselves of? Right there. That's it. We deny ourselves of our fears, our securities. We deny ourselves of our securities. Anything that keeps us from totally keeping our eye on the Lord is going to come right back to this word here, and securities. It's it's really vital that we understand this principle, because Satan will use our insecurities against us. Oh, man, he's good. He knows our insecurities and our fears better than we do. He's been at this a long time. So when this happens, our reaction, our reaction is to do what? Establish securities to cover over our insecurities, our fears. And we work really hard. And rather than just saying, okay, well, I'm going to get over my fear and my insecurities, we work really hard. We pay a lot of money. We pay a lot of time and a lot of energy to create the securities to cover our insecurities. That's what the world does. And Christians are just going right along with the world, going, man, that's a whole lot easier. There, there's, a, uh, there's a few places. There might be a place or two over there. Dan and Fatima, come on in. That's really important, folks. This is... You know, this is a learning process. As I talked about in the earlier workshop, this is a learning process. I've been, I've been 30 years trying to work this out in my own personal life, and I still struggle. So you all just kind of fell into this deal here going, gee, it sounds like kind of maybe a kind of an interesting workshop. Let's go see what happens. So it's a learning process. I would encourage you to get the CD. Listen to it over and over and over again, because this is going to be the future, and I can guarantee you it's going to happen. So key six. Down to key six already. Whoa. Okay, you, you prepare for religious restriction by discovering, discovering and defeating your fears. That's the sum total of it. The Lord said, come unto me like little children. You all say, well, that sounds kind of simple. That's right. It is simple to understand. You've got to get, you got to discover and attack and get rid of your fears. He wants us to come like little children. He wants to make it really simple for us to understand. Not so easy. We have to do it. Can't do it without him. We have to do it with him. Father, take me by the hand and usher me through this. This valley of shadow of death. So we prepare by defeating, uh, by discovering and defeating our fears. And this is not, this is not easy to do though. If we can fool ourselves. It's not easy to admit them. You may, first of all, okay, we're going to work backwards on this. We're going to, we're, we're going to approach it this way. You have to discover what your securities are. When you discover what your securities are, you just back up a little bit. Fear. Do the same thing. Disguise in many ways. One such disguise, be careful, is I'm not afraid. I'm just using common sense. Anything that's common should be a big red flag out there. Because the Lord said, do not lean upon your own understanding. Proverbs 3. 
He also said in in Romans 12, do not conform to the customs of the world. Don't be saying I'm just relying on my common sense because I don't know that the word common sense is even in the Bible, but the word faith is a lot. Because the opposite of fear is faith. That's right. Walk by sight? Nope. Just walk by faith. Now, if I'm making some pretty bold statements, but family, it's time. We've got to make some bold statements. We, so a lot of people say to me, why are we not hearing this message in our churches? Listen, we don't have time to mess around anymore. Time is really short. I mean, this Rainbow Coalition, the homosexual agenda, the abortionists, the pro-rights, the atheists, man, they are getting organized and they are tough and they're coming against us. They're not even pissing around. And us Christians are still dragging our feet, talking about the Good Samaritan stories and all that, which are not bad, but we're not addressing this urgency that we have in our life, in our society, in our homes and families. So if you do not go through this process and begin it today, you are going to fail the test of persecution. They promise us that because they did themselves. Now, you're not going to lose your salvation. No. And you're probably not going to drop out of church. No. You're just not going to have any power. You just be a bunch of wimpy Christians. Oh, Lord, why am I not? Why is my family not coming to the Lord? Lord, why is this happening? Why is it, I mean, Lord, I'm praying about this. And Lord, you're not paying any price for this. You, you, you pray for this. You go into a restaurant and you look at the menu and you say, wow, the Chateaubriand is really what I'd like to have. So I'm going to have a hamburger steak. It's not any good for you. Chateau is a lot better, a lot more protein. The Lord said, you're not willing to pay a price for what you want. You're asking me for big things, but you're not willing to pay a price for it. When I said, here's the price. So we, uh, we prepare by attacking our fears, not attacking the world. They are, they are not our enemy. These, the, the homosexual, the, the rainbow coalition is not our enemies. Not a fle- it's not a flesh against flesh. The Lord said, I did not give you that spirit of fear. This is a, a spiritual battle. We have, we have so many, so many fears. The root of every one of our fears, everybody in this room, including myself, the root of all fear is, can you see that? Root of all fear, loss. We don't want to lose our job. We don't want to lose our possessions. We don't want to lose our popularity. We don't want to lose church membership. We don't want to lose our income by being fired or being demoted. We don't want to lose our health benefits. We don't want to lose family or friends. We don't want to lose our freedom by having to go to jail. We don't want to lose our life. We don't want to lose anything. And as soon as Satan starts going, you're going to lose, we're going, well, I'm out of the game. Yeah. So it's a, it's a learning process. Self-discipline. The Lord said, I didn't give you the spirit of fear. I gave you the spirit of being self-disciplined. Pick up your cross daily. Follow me. Deny yourself. Okay. It's still on a voluntary basis. The cost is going to be high because we already talked about that. Back on the back table is some courier updates from the ministry. We talk about a lot about this kind of stuff and a lot of really cool testimonies and everything. For those of you who are on our, are already on our career update list, you know that there's just a lot of really encouraging stories to help you to see that there are Christians in the world that are already paying this price and here's how the Lord is delivering us. Because you want to see the hand of the Lord in your life. That's part of what we have. So take one of them and we encourage you to sign up. There's no subscription fee. We don't do any fundraising. That's part of our faith walk too. When you know the truth, the truth will set you free. From what? Thank you. From fear. That's what it means. Okay. How's my time? We've been... It started at what time? 3.45? Oh. 
I'm going to give it time. This is wonderful. Oh, wait a minute. I have something here. Let me see something here a minute. Okay, well, maybe I'm going to get to be doing that. Would you, would you all like to hear a personal testimony from me? Thank you. I want to, I want to give it. Not easy for me to give because there's, you have to listen for fear and you have to listen for faith because there's a lot of it mixed in here. My personal testimony. I became a Christian. When I became a Christian, I was an insurance agent. 15 years. Very successful. You probably don't, would not believe it, but I have a gift of gab. Man, love to visit, love to talk, made some money at it. And this is an important fact. I'm not bragging, but it's an important fact. I was so sold on this whole thing that I was doing. Out of probably 15,000 agents, I was in the top 3%. I was very, very successful at my job. And all I did was just talk. So the Lord showed me this part of the body of Christ, that people were begging for Bibles across the world. And the minute I saw it, I saw two movies. That very night I saw it, I said, Lord, I'm through working for man. I want to do this. I can do this. I don't have a degree in homiletics or apologetics or a degree in divinity or a doctorate of anything except messing up. And I said, I can do that, Lord. I want to do that. And the Lord took me at my word. He said, really? And I said to him, Lord, if you'll let me serve these people, take the Bible, because I love the Lord and I love the Bible. And that's all that I don't ever, I don't study commentaries. I don't study anything else. I just study the Bible. And I said, Lord, I'm willing to go to Mozambique and wash toilets. I didn't know for sure where Mozambique was. I just knew there's a bad place. I heard bad stuff by it. Or Uganda or someplace. What do you mean? Or something. I'll go down there and wash toilets if I could. And the Lord is waiting for me to say that. Something like that. To say, offer yourself as a living sacrifice. So he did. He went on to to allow me to become... Anybody heard of Open Doors Brother Andrew? You know that ministry? Okay, Brother Andrew trained us for the first seven years. And so we went on from him and we began to... We decided we wanted to be more part of the work, not so much administrative and, and speaking. We wanted to go actually do the work in the countries like we're doing now. So we decided to start Bible Cruise International this 20, 28 years ago, whatever. And when we first started... We said, okay, this is going to be really an adventure. And the Lord said, if you're going to do this, son, you're going to really do it by faith. Okay, I really didn't have much of a measure because when we started going to these Christians in these other countries, I realized, whoa, I've been comparing my faith to the wrong people. Back in the United States, I've been comparing it next to George next to me over here and John over here. And I'm going, I'm looking pretty good. <laughs> then the Lord showed me these guys who've been in prison for 20 years. And he going, now what do you think, son? Wow. So I said, okay, let's see. The Lord's never really spoken to my ear, but I, he speaks to me. And he said, okay, son, one of the things we're going to do, do differently. He said, what do you think? How much? And I said to my wife, well, how much are we going to get paid? Because now we're the boss. And the Lord said, paid? Paid? What do you mean paid? He said, how much are you going to pay yourself? And I said, I don't know. And he said, well, tell me, son, how much you think I think you're worth? Well, I said, well, I don't think I want to know that. <laughs> At this point, I only have more than a few sparrows. So he said, well, listen, either you're going to take the opportunity to come out of your comfort zone, because unless you're out of your comfort zone, you're not going to walk by faith. Guaranteed. And at this level now, I'm really in postgraduate work. Man, the Lord just takes me all the time way out of my comfort zone. But he prepares you for it. So we decided, okay, we won't take any salary. We just say, okay, and we're not, okay, we're just going to say, okay, Lord, you know what our needs are. You said, seek ye first. We're going to trust that. 
So, okay, no. So, like, well, like, what we better do is we better get out and do some fundraising so we can get some money from the ministry in case the Lord should decide to give us some money. Well, I said, whoa, wait a minute. You're going to do what? I said, we're going to do fundraising. That's what everybody does. He said, where, who are you going to go to? So, I'm like, well, the brothers and sisters out there, they're the ones that got the money now. Because they gave up everything. My wife, teacher for almost 20 years, she gave up all her retirement. We gave up everything. So, we're coming in naked. That was a sight. Don't don't visualize that, please. So Lord said, wait a minute, son. How about that your request be made known to me? He said, where do your brothers and sisters get the money from? I said, you? He said, right. How about just come to me? Oh, wow. We're talking some fire. Now we're not going to have any salary. And he says, no fundraising. Wait a minute. This is some fire here. We're looking for some slag. Some fear. This caused some real fear. No salary. We didn't take from, from the other ministry. We took no names, no anything. We just walked away. On good terms, I mean, we just said, okay, we're going to start totally new, a whole new thing. There was some fear involved in this. So he said, okay, no, no, okay, no, 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 no income and no fundraising. And then the Lord goes, okay. I said, okay, that's it. Let's get started. He goes, wait a minute, wait a minute, son. We're, 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 is there any more securities that you might have in your life that you might be prepared to give up, that you're afraid of giving up? I said, nope, <laughs> that's it. He goes, think again. He said, tell me, what do you have in your life that these Christians in restricted countries don't have? Well, the first thing that popped up and which is very accurate was possessions. Oh, I was laden down. Oh, the boat and the RV. And oh, man, I knew how to spend money. Maybe it was my wife. That was me. Oh, possessions. And the Lord says to me, okay, son, who do all those possessions belong to? Oh, man. Who do they belong to? Oh, Lord, of course they belong to you, Lord. Oh, Lord, use my house for your honor. Lord, use my boat. <laughs> use my boat for your honor. It could happen. It could happen. Lord, use all this thing to your honor. And I could almost feel the Lord laughing. And he said, are you afraid, son, of losing those? And I sensed a trick question. He said, I am being set up here, man. I am going to, I am going to lose this one. I can tell. It's a trick question. Because if I said no, I'm not afraid of losing them. Then the Lord's going to say, okay, what's the proof that you're not afraid? I don't, no proof. No proof. But if I said, yes, Lord, I'm afraid of losing them, he's going to say, ha, huh, that is why you protect yourself and your possessions through the world's system. I, I knew the trick question. I was done. He had me. He had me. There's a heating up now, folks. You can feel the heat coming on now. I think maybe some of you are getting up going, oh, 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 where's this guy going with this? So I said, okay, I, I, I gotta, I, 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 I didn't, I really didn't know how to answer because I was trapped in either way. Because if I were to say again, yes, I'm afraid of losing, he said, well, then why, why do you go to the man's system? Why do you go to the world system to protect yourself? If we, if I, in those days, if I had a loss, a fire, or theft, or vandalism, or glass breakage, I prayed, Lord, please call that insurance agent to answer the phone. Lord, please call that, uh, that adjuster to give me a nice settlement. That was my extent of my prayer. Oh, I came to the Lord. Oh, Lord, I'm dependent on you to make those other guys protect me and provide for me. Got the picture? Wow, I really believe that. 
I was selling, I was one of the top agents selling people on the same idea. Major lesson. If you will, if you'll give up the world system of protecting yourself, the things about you, then I can tell you, you're going to have a walk of faith that is so deep. You will not be, you will not believe the exquisite pleasure of the presence of the Lord. He will be cheering you on, guaranteed. So, in which case, all of this really boils down to this. We're talking in this one particular incident, insurance. The very thing that I made so much money at, we're talking about that. We have it because we're afraid of losing something and not being able to replace it. 110 years ago, when insurance was first introduced, if you will, into the United States, the churches virtually ordered their congregation have no part of this. It is from the pit of hell. Today, people will want to tar and feather me for giving this message out. What a change in just 100 years. Insurance is one of the most clever securities that Satan has devised in modern times to keep our eyes off of Jesus Christ, from keeping us from depending upon him. Satan understands those securities. He understands them better than we know them. Satan has designed it to completely keep our eyes off of the Lord and to provide for the Lord to provide for us in his way, not the way the world takes care of themselves. This was really illustrated here. Back in, this is May of 1991, I preserved this. It's preserved better than I am. And here's, with the Life Magazine, uh, you know, do we still publish Life Magazine? Oh, you do? Okay, good. And this one is, uh, it, it's just a regular, you know, it's a Life Magazine that came out once a month and every back in 1991. But I was cruising through it, and the centerfold is like this. And it's a picture of a priest. It was a movie. You'd probably recognize some of the older folks. I don't remember who it is. I'm not that old. But it was some actors, and, and they were in a movie. And, and it was saying here, it looks like we saved the orphanage, Father. All you needed was a little faith. Ah, so that's kind of an interesting centerpiece for the magazine, ad, an ad. And it said, and, and it says up here, in the real world, you haven't, if you haven't made solid plans for your future, you haven't got a prayer. It goes on to say some other very nice antichrist things in here. But it says, so when you are looking for a company that you can believe in, put your faith in the prudential and build your future on the rock. Your Bible says this in Second Samuel 22. The Lord is my rock. The Lord is my fortress. The Lord is my deliverer, in whom I will take refuge, my shield and the horn of my salvation. He is my stronghold. Right in, right in the face of Christians. In, in, in Hebrews 10, it says, For who is God besides the Lord, and who is the rock except our God? It is God who arms me with strength and makes my way perfect. The Lord goes on with me. And says, son, we're just going to have to really dismantle this whole, your whole part of your life. You're just going to have, you got so many, you know, my fear was far greater. There was so much evidence of my fear in my life, far more than evidence of faith. One time I was challenged by some uh, preacher and he said, look right down the congregation. He said, if you're accused of being a Christian, would there be enough evidence to convict you? 
So the Lord goes, okay, son, we're going to dismantle, we're going to dismantle virtually your whole life because your whole life is just revolving around this. You are so gripped in this. You don't even know how much, but we're going to dismantle you because you said you wanted me to, and I'm going to take it to work. So we go on, we proceed on this whole thing of dismantling this whole insurance concept that I built my whole life on and made a lot of money. He said, what about your car? I go, yeah, I got a car. Well, my car is paid for. He said, son, how much, how much liability do you carry? Oh, I carry 100, 350. You all know what that is? And your car insurance. He said, why do you carry so much? Because I'm afraid if I have a loss, I'm going to have to pay money out of my pocket and I don't want to have to pay anything. And he goes, did I hear the word fear in there? I go, nope, that's common sense. <laughs> He said, okay, son, what do we think? He said, son, I'm not going to just have you just stand around and guess. I'm going to tell you. He said, here's an opportunity for you to walk by faith, to come against that fear we're talking about, only go 15, 30, and 5. That's what the state requires. I go, Lord, I can, a lot of times I wear cowboy boots, and I can walk over and I can kick a car with my boot and cause more than $5,000 worth of damage. I go, Lord. He said, son, that's what the law requires. That's all it requires, 15, 30, and 5. And if you go more than that, you have operating by fear. Obey what the law says. I'm not going against what I am. And if you've got a mortgage on your car, you have to have collision and comprehensive, which I do not have. Mortgage on my car is paid for. And the Lord goes, get rid of your, here's a possibility for you, son. I'm not ordering you to, but you can get rid of your collision and comprehensive. So I have no collision. I have no comprehensive. I have no medical insurance. I have no uninsured motor for any of that because it's not required. And, and I can tell you something. Do you think that causes fear in me to get rid of that stuff? Man, I drive. I'm like a little old man. I am a little old man. I'm, I, I'm driving so careful. I'd make sure that, that not, not 56. <laughs> I mean, man, that thing is, you know, I make sure that I drive safe. I pray every time. I mean, how many times do we pray? I pray and my wife prays every time we get in the car. Lord, we know we are vulnerable because when you walk in faith, you're going to be vulnerable. Satan is just waiting to get you. Wow. My home. The Lord says, okay, son, I give you a pretty nice home and we've been blessed with having inheritance and so forth. So I bought a nice home, paid for it cash. So no mortgage. Lord goes, what are we going to do, son? I go, I'm getting the picture now, Lord. I'm getting a picture. Let me just, Father, let me, let me jump in and say this one. Okay, let me take this one for the first. He goes, okay, go ahead. So I said, I got the picture that I'm not going to have any insurance at all on it. I'm not going to have any, any fire insurance, no, no theft, no glass breakage, no wind damage, no anything, nothing at all. And I live on a creek and, and, and last week in my backyard was 135 feet of water flowing at probably eight or 10 miles an hour around my house. And you know what we're doing? Praying. Pray. Serious prayer. That's what it's supposed to be, isn't it? That's what it's supposed to drive us to. No insurance. No burglar alarm. No anything. If you, if you have a mortgage on it, the mortgage company says, okay, you have to have this. Okay, then do what they have to do. Oh, yeah. Well, I'll get that in a moment. Other securities, the Lord goes, son, have you got more securities? And I hope not. He says, you do, you do. What are they? And I said, they're life insurance. He says, who does your life belong to? I said, okay, yours. He said, what's the proof? Every time he turned around, he said, what's the proof? I had no proof. He says, who does your wife belong to? And I said, well, okay, you. He said, you got her insurance? Go, yeah. If she dies, uh, you're going to turn to the, the insurance company to buy, bury her and all. I said, why don't you let me bury? He said, you saw what I did with Sarah. I got a nice tomb over there for Sarah and Abraham. So we gave up all of our insurance, all of our life insurance, all of our retirement. 
all of our medical, everything. Said, okay, Lord, that's it. Nothing left. Faith was left. But you see, now, as I've given up all of that stuff, and I said, Lord, you know that now I am so vulnerable. You know that I'm vulnerable. Now, what I've done is I have disarmed Satan. Satan has, he still tries all the time. He has no grip on me. He's not accusing me. You know what happens if you have a flood here? You know what happens if you have a fire? You're going to be destroyed. I said, well, not me. Then belong to the Lord. And here's my, Lord, here's my proof. I have nothing in my hand to show that I am now trusting in anybody else but you. Can you do that? If you can't, there's another opportunity for you to walk by bigger faith. And to get over that nasty fear, that thing will you'll neutralize Satan if you get over that fear, and all he'll do is just be a barking dog. Man, it feels good to be able to say, I have disarmed Satan. Not not arrogantly or anything else, but to go that I have disarmed my enemy. Do we want to disarm Satan? Absolutely. That's how we do it. We take his armament out of his bed. Okay. Oft times people will say to me, Okay, big talker. What happens if you get sick? Well, let's just take that for a moment. Hold it. What's our, how's our time doing? How, many, how much time do I have left? Okay, thank you. Oh, man, I hope to get to the, my termite story. I had a really bad knot on my back of my neck. Oh, no, that, that's different. No, that was another story, too. I had a heart uh, five years ago, six months before my 65th birthday. I had, oh, I was exercising. Oh, I got a pain. Went to the doctor, and he goes, you should be dead. You have an artery that's gone. You should be dead. You have to go to the hospital now. And I said, no, 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 no. I didn't come in here for treatment. I came in here because I was getting ready to go to Cuba. And I had to be, if I can't go to Cuba and I can't go, I couldn't go to the bathroom without severe chest pain. I said, I got to be able to tell the team, you have to go. And they're going to go, why? And I don't know. I don't know why. But I, so I said, I, I didn't come in for an operation. Tell me what my problem is. He said, you're going to die if you don't go to the hospital tonight. So I said, is the Lord your great physician? Oh, well, oh, careful. <laughs> careful with that one. I go, oh, yes, Lord, of course. He said, okay, then wh- why, why, this is before I went to the doctor, actually. And I said, Lord, I know I got a problem. My, my, I hurt to my fingertips all the way up, and then I had a serious problem. And I said, Lord, you are my great physician. What's the proof, son? I, said, I don't have any proof. He said, the proof is, is you have to wait, just like a referral slip from your primary doctor to go to a cardiologist, you have to have what? A referral slip. Don't try to get that cardiologist without a referral slip. You won't make it. He said, son, I'm your great physician. When I want you to go to a cardiologist or anybody else, I'll give a referral slip. <laughs> I'm looking all the time for that referral slip. I don't want to die, even though I know i got a better place to go and better possessions. So I'm going one month, two months, three months, and I didn't tell anybody. I didn't tell anybody about my problem. But I said to the okay, Lord, I'm just going to wait on you, and I'm just going to wait, and if you don't send a referral, then I'm dead. I'm coming to see you anyway, and I would have died in faith. And then I had to go to Cuba. So I went to the cardiologist. He said, you're going to die. And I said, no, I, I'm going to go home, and I'll just pray about it. But then the Lord said, son, because the, the guy said, the doctor, the cardiologist, he, was, he ended up being, I didn't even have a doctor. I didn't have a family doctor or anything. I went to the Yellow Pages, and I said, well, this is a guy. Somebody said I had, needed to go to a cardiologist, and, I, and he was a chief medical surgeon for the University of California. I couldn't even pronounce his name, but I called him. And he says, you know, I talked to his nurse, and she said, no, you can't, no, you can't come see the guy. because who's, I don't have a personal physician. He said, well, we can't do it. I said, just ask the doctor. Just see. She called me back a few days later, and she said, guess what? The doctor will see you. 
So I go in. The doctor said, I said, well, I'm going to go home and, 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 and pray about it and see what the Lord says about it. And he said, this is what he said. In response to that, he said, if it's a matter of money, which I said, no, it's not a matter of money. He said, and I tell you what we'll do. We'll pay for it. You'll pay for it. See, we'll pay for it. You know what the Lord said? Referral slip. This guy's going to do it for nothing. What's the chance? I didn't even, never mentioned about, oh, I don't have the money or, I mean, the Lord's not a beggar God. We don't have to put our hat in our hand and go begging to him or anything like that. He doesn't come in that direction. He's got a lot of money and he wants to spend it on us. But the Lord said, there's your referral slip. Was I happy, man? So I said, okay. Listen, you'll pay for it. Yeah, I said, wait a minute. How much is the, uh, that being the case, how much is this other stuff that you're going to have to do? And he said, oh, maybe $15,000. And I said, I got $15,000. And I said, okay. So he said, all right, do it. Terrific. Man, I was full of confidence that day. Went and had the operation. They put the stents in. I was healthy, man. Went to Cuba. It was great. And a few weeks later, I got the bill. <laughs> Wait a minute. Something happened here on the way to the hospital or on the way to Cuba. I came back. The bill was a hundred thousand dollars. <laughs> and, and I, I went to the hospital and I said, you know, maybe there's a mistake here, but they told me 15,000. He said, sir, the stents alone are 15,000 that we put in. That, that was a loan. And so the doctor didn't have any idea. It was the Lord. It was obviously the Lord. Because if it had been much more than that, my checking account and my savings or whatever, I said, no, 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 not until the Lord provides me the money, but he provided me the money. So I went to the hospital. And I said, okay, I, I'm going to, I see this bill here and it's going to take me a little bit of time. I said, I'm almost at retirement age back then. And I've since a long time past that. And I said, so I'll just, I got an idea how I can pay. I'll just sign my social security check over to you every month. And I said, I have it paid off in about seven or eight years. And the hospital said, that will work. So why not? They said, because we have to have it paid off in one year. So it's going to be seven or $8,000 a year. I mean, a month. I go, well, okay, I'm going to have to go home and figure this out again. So I went home and but as I went to leave, she said, wait a minute, come here. She said, you don't have any insurance. I said, no, no supplemental, not nothing. She said, well, you know, the hospital has a little program that maybe we can help you a little bit with the, you know, with the, with the, with the price of it. And I said, she says, a little two-page thing, fill it out. Tell me all your assets. And I mean, so I did. I, I put on here at least my assets. I had a boat. I had a car and everything. None of that wasn't a money deal. Money's not a gauge of our faith, remember. God's got a lot of money. He, he, wants to, he wants to give us these gifts, but he wants us to work by faith. So I, went, I filled it out, and I sent it back in. And a couple of weeks later, I got the bill. I thought, well, maybe I'll get 5% or 10% or something like that, a little bit of help. And I got the, I got the bill. It's all laid out there. Here's your cost, 100000 bucks and all that. And da 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 da. And he said, we're going to be able to help you some. And the sum total, <laughs> you'd have a hard time believing this. And this is what my balance was. The doctor, the hospital, and everything, 100000 more than $100,000 paid. And I never said anything about, I can't afford it or help me or nothing. The Lord says in Malachi 3.10, Test me. Let me show you who I am. Man, I am up to it. I am more. Listen, family, we got to get over. We got to get over having God as the God of provision. Lord, I need a car. Lord, I need a job. Lord, I need, I need, a, you know, selfie, selfie. This is, the, this is the real selfie here. Lord, I need this and I need that. Because when you start tapping into the wonder working power of the blood of Jesus Christ. You're going to have power and you're going to see the hand of the Lord and he wants to show off. He wants to, just like a, a dad. For those of you who are dads, you go, well, that's my son. 
He's, he's, he's been my boy. I'm proud of him. I'm going to give him a new bike with a motor on it. Schwinn. I'm going to People say to me, when you have a fire, not if, when you have a fire, when you have a flood, when you have a serious car accident, when you have these things happen to you, what are you going to do in retirement? Believe it or not, I am past age of retirement now, way by. But I'm hooked on this kind of ministry. I love to see the hand of the Lord in my life, so I kind of keep doing it. But they ask me, what are you, what are you going to do? What are you going to do? What are you going to do? And I'm going to give you the seventh key now. This is key seven, and this is just wonderful. Because a lot of Christians say to us, how do I know when I'm walking in fear? I mean, how do I know when I'm walking in faith? How do I know when I'm walking in faith? And the key seven is seven words. And when you say these seven words, and I hope that you say them often because I say them all the time. How am I going to get the money to go to Cuba? What am I going to do when I retire? What happens if I have another heart problem? What? And I've said it to myself all the time. What am I going to do? And I have to remember these seven words all the time. This is the key, the seventh key. This is the key to it. We're here, folks. Seven words. You say this, you're walking by faith. I don't know, but the Lord knows. How are you going to pay a $100,000 bill? <laughs> I don't know, but the Lord knows. Hey, wait a minute. Come here a second. I want to, we got a couple of pieces of paper. Fill this out. I don't know about how it's going to work out, but the Lord knows. How much time do I have? Oh, another testimony? Okay. Oh, the handcuffs? Well, that was created by the man that was spent 24 years in prison for his faith in China, Wang Ming Dao, the father of the Chinese house church. So he was 24-7, 24 hours a day, seven days a week for five months, he was handcuffed together. And that's the inspiration for our handcuffs. We've been asking the Lord, give us a symbol to remember these Christians by. <clears throat> a number of years ago, I lived, it was in Sacramento, and I had a home that I was going to be, going to sell and move to another location. And I had the, I had the, you know, the, the, the survey. Oh, oh, before that, no, back up. We had, oh, way back. I had a home that I was renting out. We wanted to move into Sacramento and, and work in Sacramento out of our office in Sacramento. So I asked the renters to please leave, and they left, and we moved into that house. But as they were leaving, they said, listen, sir, we want to tell you, you need to have a, a termite inspector come in and inspect because you've got termites. No way. Yes way. Let me show you. He takes me out by the, the chimney, and he says, see him going up the wall here and everything? Those are all little termites. They're all, they're all happy and everything. Little piles of stuff around and all that. Oh, no. So thank you very much. So the next day, I called the I called the uh, termite company and, and came out, and they said, "Yeah, you got termites, and we'll treat it for you know you know every month for thirty or thirty-five bucks a month or whatever." And I said, "Okay, do it." So the guy sprayed like that. And they left, and the guy hadn't gotten his truck and driven away. And the go Lord goes, "What did you just do?" I go, "Pretty smart, huh, Lord? I got that guy. I got those those bad old termites." He said, "What'd you do that for?" He said, "Were they here before you?" I go, "Well, probably. Yeah, they were here." He said, "Did you even pray about that?" Nope, I didn't pray about it. Just like the Gibbonites. Remember the Gibbonites? They came in there and the Israelis made this deal and everything and they didn't pray. And the Lord goes, like, you're going to have to pay for that. So, oh man, right away I go, I can't believe that. The Lord said, he said, I gave you dominion over those animals, those little bugs and everything. He said, take dominion. I didn't say for you to go in and smoke them. What are you going in and just kill them all? That's your answer to taking dominion over the animals? Wow, I was really convicted. I go, you're right, Lord, I'm sorry. I apologize, but I signed a contract. 
Next month, I'm there at the house, and the guy comes out to spray. And I stop him. I said, listen, I got a story for you. You're not going to believe, but this is the story. And I told him what the whole story was. The guy was just captivated going, I can't believe what I'm hearing. So he said, you don't want me to finish? I said, nope, you can go. He said, we got a contract. I said, I'm going to pay the whole year off. That's my penalty, the whole year off in advance. No problem. So he goes out in his truck, and he spends at least a half an hour out there. Man, he is documenting everything. He's going to have to go back to his boss and go, oh, man, you're not going to be this kook. Because he said to me, we have churches have big contracts with us, and you're telling me? And I go, I don't know about that, man, but this is the story. Next month goes by. Another guy, different guy comes out. I go through the whole, it's wonderful. I go through the whole story with this guy. He goes back to the truck. He right, half an hour, he's documenting everything. Got to go back and tell his boss this. A whole, so I paid the whole year off. For the next 12 years, in my house was the evidence of the termites. Oh, Lord, in the name of Jesus, please, cause just like you did that leprosy in those houses back in the Old Testament, get rid of these bugs. Send them to the neighbor's house. Oh. <laughs> the Lord goes, now that is just flat tacky. I don't know where else to send them. Lord, there's people every place, and I don't want them on here. He said, but that's good, son. You're taking authority over. That's what I want. But, and so I patched up the hole. We'd pray about it. And maybe a few weeks later, there's another hole, a little pile of dust in the inside of the house. Oh, man, I'm dying. And I just know one of these days my house is just going to go boom, big pile of sawdust. I'm just dying. And I just, I dreaded the day when I was going to sell that house and the termite man's going to come in and go, well, you are just a fool. Why didn't you call us before? Go, okay, you're not going to believe this story. Came the day to sell it. Oh, man, was I nervous. I went to the, went to, I knew I had to have the termite inspection, so I went to the Yellow Pages. I looked in the yellow pages under the smallest little bitty termite inspection ad that they had. Lord goes, what are you doing that for? I said, probably because, honestly, Lord, because they're probably going to be so hungry, they're just going to pass whatever happens in here. He said, don't do that. He said, go to the biggest one and call them out here. Everywhere you turn around, the Lord is going to give you an opportunity to get out of your comfort zone. So with fear and trembling, I called the, the termite company, and they came out. And the guy, and I'm just standing, I'm just dying. I'm sweating bullets in the garage, and I'm pacing like an expectant father. And the guy comes out, and he says, okay, we're through with it. And I said, okay, well, just give me the bad news. He said, well, actually, there's not too much bad news. He said, I got a little bit of dry rot in the edge of the garage up here. And he said, we can fix it for a couple hundred dollars. And he said, so pay me my 75 bucks or whatever it was, and I'll, and I'll finish off the report. Anything else in the report? Such as what? I said, anything about... <laughs> he said, termites? I said, oh, yeah, yeah, was there any evidence of any termites? And he said, you know, yes, he said, there was a little bit of evidence from it. But he said, I can tell it. There, there, there's no evidence anymore. It's been a long time. He said, I said, are you sure? And he said, sir, I'm a professional. You paid me to come out here. I did my job. He said, I'll even guarantee the work for a year. That's how positive I am. You have no termites in here. No termites. Can you imagine? The house was clean. After probably two or three hundred holes throughout the house, the, the, and, and, and I, and I stayed in touch with the people. I go, okay, Lord, this is really hard. I didn't want to disappear off the face of the earth with these owners. I don't want to come back going, well, you jerk. You didn't tell me about all these. So I stayed in touch with them about if there was a problem, I was going to take care of it. I go, well, I guess we just messed up and I'll take care of it. The Lord told me, don't you run. <laughs> don't you be a bad guy and disappear on these people. And nothing ever, ever came of it. Never one problem. Family, are we ready to step out of our comfort zone? Are we ready to put it on the table and say, Lord... 
And every one of us in here, I can guarantee if I talk to you for three minutes, I can develop, I can, I, I can discover a fear that you got in your life. I bet you. I still do. I have to struggle with it all the time. You want to have, you want to be able to change the world. You want to be able to change your family. You want to be able to change yourself. You want to be bigger. You want to be bigger than your sin. You want to be bigger than your fear. God wants you to be. He wants to be bigger than all those things. He's up to the task. But you've got to isolate and you have to attack that right there. And that's how we do it. Thank you for listening to The Harder Way Podcast. If you were encouraged by this episode, please consider sharing it with a friend or leaving us a review. To be the first to know when we publish new episodes, subscribe to The Harder Way Podcast on your favorite platform. Until next time, remember the words of Christ. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven.